Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now.
101.5 UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Elves, kicking things off for us tonight. An oldie but a goodie from Fleet Foxes from their self-titled debut on Sub Pop in 2008. That's Mykonos. Playing that because I watched that live, amongst other songs, last night at Folkfest. Uh, after a lengthy thunderstorm delay, thankfully that uh, show still went off and uh, a great one. So I uh, just wanted to play that one for the first time in a long time here on Thank God It's Free Range, but uh, a longtime favorite of mine, that band and that song in particular. Uh, I'm actually out at Folk Fest. You're hearing a, a taped show. I'm going to feature a couple of interviews that I did as part of our Festival Express series with some acts who are performing over the course of the weekend. Uh, Charlotte Cornfield is playing a tweener tomorrow night on the main stage. Um, she already did her, her solo show uh, on Friday afternoon. Uh, and then Evan Redsky has a solo show at Spruce Hollow on Sunday afternoon. And uh, these are two of my favorite interviews and, and I, a couple artists I wanted to spotlight. So I'm replaying those interviews as part of this show tonight. Uh, but before we get to that, new Winnipeg artist Elio Ugrin. Uh, this was brought to my attention by UMFM's own David Dobbs, host of Hell Yeah Winnipeg. Uh, just debuted a new record called This Crowded Place. Uh, last month on Bandcamp, you can find it there. I'm going to play you Tears of Blue, my favorite track from this album. And maybe, fingers crossed, in the future, we might see him out at Birds Hill Park. Uh, hope you're all having a great evening. Have a great weekend. And we will catch you next week here on Thank God It's Free Range.
caught in the spotlight Covered in tears of Painfully sober, cradled in fog in the middle of October, Mother Nature's sweet song, the cool comfort, the cold sting, only brings on more suffering and a thick layer of dew on my palm. Makes me wonder what went so wrong, what went so wrong, and when will it all go right, would someone please put a smile on my face before the night. the wild wind to take me away without a trace but my footprints curled toes and that bitter taste that lingers on oh the bitter taste how it lingers on All right, well, she has a new record, could have done anything. She'll be bringing it to Birds Hill Park, playing the Winnipeg Folk Festival. Charlotte Cornfield, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. My pleasure. So uh, I'm, I'm very curious. I mean, this is a, a deeply personal record, or at least mm-hmm. the, the, the songs come across as deeply personal. And it, it makes me wonder, like, do you ever write something that feels deeply personal that actually isn't to you, or do they all have to kind of spring from a place that you've felt some emotions that you've experienced? Yeah, I think they like it's changed over time. I feel like my songs all kind of naturally have some personal resident resonance because that's what I gravitate towards. But on this record, I, in terms of like the storytelling and stuff like that, some of the some of the songs pull directly from my own experience. Some of them are more um, just narratives that I put together. And so it's not it's not all like completely drawn from my life, but it all kind of is thematic material that I can relate to. Do you like purposely sit down and write like like I know, you know, like a writer like Stephen King talks about kind of like, you know, he checks in, right? Like he goes to the office in some sense and and does the hours. 
And I know some mm. people that can only write kind of when they're in a Zen state of like, I've had some inspiration and I can like bang out one or two songs during that period. What's, what's your process like? And I, I'm curious as to like kind of, are you intellectually in a, like a headspace where it's, it's a process thing or are you kind of in a, in an emotional space where it's, it's like a feeling thing? Yeah. It used to be a way for me to process emotion. So I would just like gravitate to writing when I was going through something, but in the last bunch of years, it's kind of turned into more of like, I treat it like a job and a craft, but it's still, I still feel more pulled to it when there is inspiration. But during the pandemic, I think it was early 2021, some friends of mine who live in Edmonton reached out and we had all read Jeff Tweedy's book, How to Write One Song, mm. which is just a beautiful little book about songwriting. And whether you're a professional songwriter or you've never written anything before, I think it, it's got a lot of like little gem creativity gems. And one of the things that he talks about is um, just the idea of sitting down to write every day. So we decided to create a Zoom group that would meet every week and we would have like a fragment or a whole song or something to um, to kind of share with the group and get feedback on each week. So that was the first time I've ever really had a sort of imposed deadline. And I found I was writing more than ever and kind of digging deeper than I normally would and writing sort of about things that that um, that felt a little bit different. And so, yeah, so that group kind of really structured me on writing the songs for this record. Almost all of them were kind of written um, during that time. And we still we still meet and I just find it really nice to have to be able to have people to play a new song for on a regular basis and just get see how it's resonating and stuff like that. When when you say see how it's resonating, like, have you ever had a situation where like you are fully invested in a song and then like it's it falls flat in terms of the reaction from those other people? Yeah, definitely. And and in that way, I really value genuine feedback from people because I think it is really easy to get into your own head about stuff. And I've had things where I'm like, oh, I think this is really great and it makes a lot of sense to me, but. I really appreciate the the friends and peers who are just like, oh, that's not quite landing on my end. And why don't you try this? Or just like, what do you think about that? And what really, what was really powerful to me about that thing was this line and maybe not the rest of it. And that stuff, I just, it's something I really value just about musical community is that kind of feedback. So it's definitely good to have a sounding board, I find. Right. Now, Highs and the Minuses you released in October 2021. Were mm -hmm. any of those songs the product of the this like Zoom group or had that all kind of been gestating prior to pandemic? Yeah, I think that started. Um, none of the Highs and the Minuses songs were written for that group, although I think there was some timing overlap between when I was recording and, um, and when the group started. But... Um, during the pandemic, like the writing process for highs and the minuses pretty much spanned like March, 2020 to like August, 2020. And because my life had totally, like the decks were cleared, all the shows were canceled. I was 
writing a lot just personally during that time. And while I didn't have a group like this, this group at that point, I was meeting regularly with this amazing songwriter from Nashville who was kind of mentoring me, this person, Kim Ritchie, who we had met in Banff, like, cause I was doing a songwriter residency as COVID was coming down, like in March and we all got sent home and mm. Kim was like, yeah, I'll hang out with you on zoom and just, we can shoot the shit and, and I'll listen to your songs and give you feedback. And I just found that so helpful. So we did a kind of weekly session for a while and getting her uh, feedback was really valuable for sure. So you had kind of a, a taste of this process with the highs and the minuses stuff with Kim and then a, a, like a more yeah. full fledged experience on this new record. Do you see like a difference in the songs that you're writing? as a result of that like change in process and that and that feedback loop that you're getting now? Yeah, I think in some ways it's easier to finish things because I find without the dead like without some kind of deadline, like I can let something drag on for a while. But in terms of process, yeah, I think before before pandemic, I was used to trying new songs out at shows and seeing how they were resonating and that's something that isn't happening as much anymore just because I mean there weren't shows during that time and there aren't as as many uh, I mean that like it's all picking up but mm -hmm. um yeah I think I think my process just changed a bit because I was just doing it so much and like the natural growth and evolution of a thing um as you spend time with it I think um but did, yeah, did my style like fundamentally change? I don't, I don't necessarily think so, but I think there's a confidence that comes with like just doing it over and over and over and over. The, the rep, yeah. the reps that you get from it. Now, yeah. I, I know usually with artists, there's, there's a couple songs that like are left on the, on the cutting room floor when it comes time to making the record. Mm -hmm. What was the like inclusion rate let's say for for stuff on uh, on could have done anything like did you did you find most of what you wanted to put on the record landed on the record or how did you kind of sift through things yeah i um yeah i mean the group helped because like if something wasn't landing like there were some songs that it, like i could tell when there was a strong reaction and i was like okay this this is going to work. And it's also about things fitting together too in this symbiotic way. So yeah, definitely playing songs with that group kind of helped me sift through. And there's definitely some stuff that I left behind before I even got to the studio. Mm. But when I got to the studio, Josh Kaufman, who produced the record, like he, he had heard some of the demos, but he was basically like, let's just sit on the porch of the studio and you just play me stuff. <laughs> and I'll and I'll sort of say, let's do that right now. Let's do that tomorrow. Let's do that when we're in the other studio in a couple of days. And and yeah, he'd be like, oh, I'm not. I think this song's really great, but I'm not really feeling it in conjunction with everything else. And so there were a few tunes that we didn't end up um, recording, and then two songs that we recorded that didn't end up on the record, mm -hmm. um, but will come out in in other ways. Um, just because they didn't fit thematically or whatever. Um, but I would say that the stuff that I felt really strongly about is all there. So so when you say it didn't fit thematically, like 
what do you feel is the theme of the record? Like, I know as a listener, having listened to the whole record, where I sit on this record, but like you as the creator, what did you feel was kind of like linking all these songs? Yeah, I think it's, there's a lot of sort of like acceptance, moving on, sort of hopefulness about it, and revisiting past experiences with a level of resolve. Um, I write a lot about relationships, all kinds of relationships, be it friendships, romantic, family, or otherwise. And I think, um, yeah, I on a lot of these songs, I kind of revisited some conflict or some like difficult times that happened in certain relationships with, with a level of, um, yeah, having moved on from that and, and sorted through it. And um, yeah, so I think those are, those are kind of the resonant themes and there is a lot of, someone pointed out to me the other day, there's a lot of sort of like Vista sunset imagery. And I think there's like an openness to this record that um, sort of like open, clean slate, open skies. Um, and that's, those are the visuals that pop to mind when I think about it. Well, even when you talk about painting a room, it's either, you know, this white or the like California blue and it's, yeah. the, it's the sky blue, right? It's not like enclosed yeah. or or to make you feel in a smaller space. Uh, yeah. Th- there's also like a, a wistfulness to some of the songs, at least I, I interpret it as that. Like you, you said, you know, kind of like looking back on relationships or, or kind of reevaluating them. Is that like work you've done yourself or is that kind of like you trying to do that work through these songs? I think it's a bit of both. Um, but yeah, I think... I think that, yeah, the wistfulness, the looking back on things was a big part of writing this record because I feel like, especially when I was in my young, like, 20s and mid-20s, things feel so intense at that point and I felt so inside of everything. And now I feel like I can look back on things for what they were. And so there is this element of, like, wistful nostalgia, I think, that comes out. I mean, the title itself suggests, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the song titles too, but like the, the could have done anything is like a reflection of like, oh, the possibilities at that point. Yeah, totally. When, when you can just make any number of decisions and then you make one and that's what you went with in that moment and kind of informed whatever else happened that day, month, year. Um, yeah. And I think about that too with, regards to making an album because there's so many choices that go into making a record and when approaching this record I was just like yeah I thought it was kind of a funny idea could it could have done anything and I did this kind of thing well speaking of choices what led you to Josh as your producer yeah so I mean I've been a fan of Josh's work for a long time I first saw him play I think in 2017 um, when I was at Pickathon Festival in Oregon playing drums with my friend Tim Darcy, Josh was playing with his Golden Messenger and I was just really struck by his musicianship. And then he produced um, a bunch of records that I love, like an overview on Phenomenal Nature by Cassandra Jenkins was a big one for me and Anais Mitchell's um, latest record and then his own band, Bonnie Light Horseman. And I loved all that stuff. And Anais has been a friend for a long time. And I was chatting with her and she said, yeah, you should totally work with Josh. And I had, it had already been on my mind. So I asked her to introduce us and she kind of email introed us and, and that was how that happened. And 
and he was yeah he was down to to work on stuff and it was a really really great collaboration did you point to any specific records he'd done or just kind of describe kind of what you were looking for like how did you kind of agree upon kind of what what sound you were trying to achieve yeah like he he sort of like straight up asked me like what yeah what of the stuff that I've worked on do you like and I mentioned Cassandra's record I mentioned Aeneas's record and and I think there yeah there was this consensus that we wanted to leave things pretty open-ended and not not hire session musicians and not try to shape it we would just go song by song and he and I kind of played all the instruments and and because he's such a phenomenal musician and has so many great ideas I just wanted to kind of like leave things open to to him and to me to see what ideas we could put down and it ended up being a really fruitful experience sure now I'm always curious about kind of sequencing and and decisions that go into like where songs fit in in the record cut and dry is right right in the middle and it's one of the like earliest songs you've released on on this record like like do you feel this is like the heart of the record and particularly i'm curious because the video uh for this features like home movies of you as a child yeah (laughs) it's kind of like my life yeah in music um yeah i think it it uh it touches on or maybe sums up some of the themes of the record um and it feels like a, a a centerpiece not necessarily the centerpiece but a um a key piece in a way cap like just this idea that and i think i've been thinking a lot about um how categorical we can be in this digital age and sometimes writing people off or cutting them out is like a necessary thing um which I totally get, but I feel like there's a lot of like minimizing of humanity that happens when there's this need to be like categorical about people. Um, And I think I was just thinking about that a lot and that came up on this record. And I personally have had a few friendships where there was like conflict that came up and the instinct is to kind of like be like, okay, this isn't working, let's cut it off there. But in all of those cases, I feel like I've, me and the other, the person at the other end like worked through it and that was like so much more valuable of an experience. And so I was thinking about that. And then also in relation to my own life, just this need to move on and like separate yourself from the past. And yeah, and I, I just wanted to get back in touch with my past self. And I think in the video, I mean, the video is my brother's idea, but in watching the footage back, I was like, whoa, like, yeah, I've grown and all this stuff has happened over the course of my life, but I've always been like super passionate about music, like really excited about being on stage. Like there's so much of me now that I see in that person, especially now, like being on the cusp of having a kid, like it was just so cool to to look back on on that stuff. So it was your brother's idea. What did he say to you as like the inspiration or why that concept was what he wanted to go with on, on this song? Um, well, he said he was getting a really nostalgic feel for the song and it was making him think about, um, the past and our childhood and stuff like that. And then he remembered that he had all this footage that like was 
I think my parents had given him to digitize, but he hadn't looked at it yet. And so, yeah. So then he kind of pitched that idea to me and I was like, I was really into it. So Sure. Now coming to Folk Fest with a new record, are you like going to focus on the new record or, I mean, you got a, a hefty discography at this point. Like, do you feel like you, you can tap into older stuff or what's, what's, what's the plan of attack for something like this? Yeah. I mean, I've been putting together the set and I think, yeah, there's going to be a bunch of stuff off could have done anything, but in reality, like there've been three records and an EP that came out in the last four years. So yeah. So the set kind of draws from, um, my sort of faves or or the crowd faves from from those but it'll be a, a mix of everything sure enough now focus on the new record before i let you go i want to get you to pick a track off of could have done anything that we can play for listeners to close this out and if you have a reason why you're picking that song or an anecdote about it i'd love to hear that yeah for sure i i'd love to choose the song gentle like the drugs which is the first song on the record and the reason i'm choosing it is it, it's got a really summary feel and this song kind of came about after i went on tour with my band opening for pedro the lion from seattle last spring on the havasu and... tour pardon on the havasu tour yeah exactly Love that record. Yeah. yeah so good yeah so many great songs and we just like had for whatever reason sometimes touring can be difficult for for many reasons but it was just the best tour I've been on. Everybody was in a really good mood. We were driving through really beautiful parts of the U.S., like Colorado, Arizona, uh, desert scapes, and then the ocean. And I, yeah, I hadn't really, a lot of places that I hadn't been before. And the Pedro the Lion crew was just so, we just instantly bonded with them. And so it was just a very beautiful experience. And I look back on it with such fondness and i think yeah that's what kind of inspired the the openness and the feel of this song some of those images yeah what made that your choice to like lead off the record with then um i like to start with 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 something that's kind of scene setting and because of all the imagery in that song and the kind of the feel groove wise it just felt like a good place to start all right um, yeah Gentle Like the Drugs, we'll give that one a listen. Uh, Charlotte, thanks for taking some time and looking forward to seeing you at Winnipeg Folk Fest. Thanks so much. I can't wait to go. Feel gentle like the 
parking lot looking at the sky the heat is beating down but at least it's dry i see a white van and a blue van parked side by side with the windows rolled down and our friends arrive while the headlining band's getting high Take me out When I get home for the first time I really don't feel alone Or anything sad Or anything profound I just feel gentle 
All right. Well, coming to the Winnipeg Folk Festival, Evan Redsky, who released his album Oblivion late last year and uh, bringing it for Winnipeg audiences and joining us here on the show. Welcome, Evan. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> now, uh, I mean, you, you, you have a connection to Winnipeg because uh, we get our water from Shoal Lake 40. That's correct. There's a long history there uh, in, in terms of uh, the relationship between Shoal Lake and Winnipeg. Absolutely. Yep. I got a lot of relatives and my entire paternal side of my family is from Shoal Lake 40. Yeah, because I was reading up your, your great grandfather uh, was a writer and activist. And uh, I, I'm curious, like, did you spend a lot of time with your great grandfather growing up? No, my great grandfather passed before I was born. Sorry. No problem. <laughs> so he passed my before you were born. Yeah. Yeah, my great grandfather passed before I was born, but uh, he was actually a World War One veteran. And when he returned to the Lake of the Woods region and, and up near Shoal Lake, um, he sort of dedicated the rest of his life to ceremony and um, the culture. Um, in in so far as that he he started writing about it and and and, and journaling and listening to stories of uh, elders in that territory in that area. And we even have artifacts of um, his writings and his translations today. Um, the University of Toronto Press even published uh, a, a huge, huge, um, not anthology, but a huge book of his work, uh, which is here at the Reference Library in Toronto. And he's got a few other uh, books that I own here on my bookshelf, uh, including Great Leader of the Ojibwe. He talks about stories that his great uncles and uncles um, experienced, you know, um, hundreds of years ago. So so growing up, I mean, obviously he was he had passed before you were born, but like was it that history of culture and you know, telling of story, part of kind of like what led you to becoming a, a singer songwriter and a, and a teller of story and, and of indigenous culture. I know in some way um, that that had an influence on me, even even if I didn't know directly. Right. I I, I grew up um, in the Mississauga First Nation in Northern Ontario, um, just outside of Blind River between Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury. So I grew up with my maternal side of the family, um, whom are Chiblos. And um, I wasn't really that connected with my Red Sky side until I was about maybe 10 or 11 years old. And at that point, you know, I, I you know, I, you hear about this history, but it's never something when you're that young that's like super important to your identity, right? Mm -hmm. um, at that point in time, I was just probably picking up a guitar, a bass guitar, just getting into music. Um, but at this stage in my life, it is basically the cornerstone of my writing in, in that you know, this history uh, needs to be told. And there are so many ways in which we can do that. But for me as a musician, it sort of feels in some way like an obligation to carry on those stories and continue the work of my great grandfather. You mentioned just picking up the guitar, bass guitar and kind of learning music. You started on Single Mothers in a, in a punk band, basically. And then yeah, well, you, yeah, you left yeah. And, and started kind of writing your own songs. Was it like the things weren't resonating or connecting with you in in the punk or in in the single mother's vein or was there something deeper to that well you know punk raised me i discovered punk and metal and hardcore music when i was probably like 13 years old and um by the time i was 18 is when i started and joined the band single mothers in london ontario while i was at school and i was in that band till i was 25 so I spent, you know, almost eight years on the road writing and recording with that band. And like all bands, you know, you sort of kind of gain perspective throughout the years and throughout that time and learn things about yourself. And it was just at that point in time, a good time for me to step away um, for my own mental health, physical health and well-being and, and start focusing on myself. And, you know, that entire time and that part of the scene and that era, 
uh, between 2008 and 2015, I maybe met like one or two other indigenous people that played music in my travels, mm. uh, especially in punk and hardcore. I never ran into other folks like that. And even in within singer songwriter circles and Americana, it was very few far, few and far between. So I, I, I just decided to maybe try something new and it's, it's, it's been a journey and I've been very pleased and proud of the work I've been able to do under this umbrella of Evan Red Sky and honoring that history in the process. Did you have a sense of like what your sound would be when you stepped away from single mothers and then started writing your own songs? Like were, were they all in this kind of like roots rock vein or did you kind of like dabble in different styles and figure out which worked? You know, I tried a few different things when I when I first started, but I've been writing my own music as a solo artist since I was when I since I first picked up guitar. You know, um, back in the days of like pure volume in MySpace, I was posting music and original music of my own, um, experimental singer songwriter, basically everything. And I, it took me a long time to start writing things that I felt proud of that I should share with others. Um, but throughout the, throughout that time, even during the single mother's era, I was very much writing songs and I was very much playing solo when I could and, and just kind of trying to get that out of my system and figure out what my sound was. But I grew up in Northern Ontario and, you know, when you have like one or two radio stations that come in clear, you're going to hear a lot of Neil Young. You're going to hear a lot of the band, Joni Mitchell, all that stuff, you know, and that's kind of what really influenced me deeply, I would say, is a lot of sort of Canadian rock, roots rock, Americana. And it was just a natural sound in the way I started writing songs. It felt comfortable to me. It felt like a felt like home in some way, you know. Yeah, I read that your mom was a, a Blue Rodeo fan. So that was certainly something that you were steeped in as well. Yeah, she has uh, she has the biggest crush on uh, Jim Cuddy, and uh, we listened to a lot of uh, Blue Rodeo at the lake growing up. I don't think she's alone in that crush. I think that's like yeah. <laughs> maybe a pan Canadian feeling. Uh, exactly. you, you were talking about you know even in the the Americana field, being very few Indigenous artists when you were kind of starting out in in that state. Like, did you kind of have to figure things out on your own as to kind of like identity and performance and and how you tell story and stuff like that? Or did you look to indigenous artists in other spaces to kind of like figure out what they did when they were charting a path in a place where there were not a lot of indigenous voices? You know, even within the last five years, it's sort of been an explosion of indigenous creativity. Um, but in, even in 2015, when I decided to go out on my own, I didn't have a lot of references. I didn't have a lot of sort of people in my own backyard that I, I immediately knew of, you know, it took me some time. Um, I've always been aware of um, Buffy St. Marie, you know, like a huge influence. Those early protest records still to this day um, hold a lot of water for me. And but like there was only a couple uh, touchstones for me at that point. And it wasn't until even now I'm discovering artists from the 70s and 80s, even Errol Ranville from the band Seaweed um, has become a huge influence on me and his entire story. And it's those things that are sort of even just coming to light now for me as an Indigenous person closer to the community. It's just starting to happen now, this sort of education for me anyway. But there weren't a lot of us um, doing what we're doing in this genre or this space, you know, which is largely underrepresented and uh, woefully white at times. Mm -hmm. Do you do like a lot of research? Like, are you a heavy reader and stuff? Because I know that the, the Danny Wolf EP was inspired in part by a, a book about him Absolutely. and about the Indian Posse. Like, is that something that informs your songwriting? Absolutely. I mean, I'm 
when it comes to songwriting uh, and storytelling, it should be informed and it should, you should be honoring the subject in some way. And that's how I feel about it. I feel like I need to understand it um, deeply. Um, but you know, like with any creative endeavor, uh, there's poetic license, right? And so there are parts of me that are in those songs, parts of my family. And that's just, I think, sort of my process at this point is to is to do the research and to sort of let it live inside of you. But then, you know, once it's filtered through you, there's going to be bits of yourself in there as well. So, yeah, it's it's a, it's definitely a, a bit of both. Speaking of process, is it purpose driven? Like, do you go into like looking at a topic thinking I, I would like to do a song about this topic? Or do you just kind of find yourself reading or exploring things and then processing it through song? It's both. Uh, I feel like I have probably like, like maybe a dozen songs on the go at all times. So on my phone notes, I'll have a line or two. Um, I'll have uh, music memos um, with either melodies or even just subjects. I'll be like, write about this. And then I'll like in detail, take notes verbally on my phone. So it, it, it's, it's literally an amalgamation of, of, of all those processes. And, you know, sometimes the best songs just happen as long as it takes to sing them is it is to write them. But I find in my process, because I want to do the due diligence and honor the subjects and honor the storytelling that I need to roll up my sleeves a little bit higher and, 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 and do justice by the, by the, by the subject. Do you do a lot of editing then? Like in terms of the, the lyrics and stuff, like, do you find yourself kind of going back and refining or revising things to all the time, even for songs I have recorded? Oh really? Um, yeah. Yeah, even for songs that are already out, there's certain maybe just verbiage or or descriptive words that I I'll I'll, I'll just slightly change. And um, again, if it tell if it gets the point across better, it becomes a stronger song. I'm always sort of looking for ways to improve. Um, so absolutely, absolutely. There's lots of editing, and you know, I'm sur I surround myself here as much as I can with people who inspire me. Uh, living here in Toronto, and two of my closest collaborators in the last year, uh, Troy Snatterzy and Eric Grice from the band Ultimita. Hmm. who I also played bass for um, for the last year and a half. Um, they, they've been a huge uh, uh, help in terms of bouncing ideas off of and, and getting, because they have such a deep understanding of, of songs. And they're very much at the school of like California, like West Coast, like songwriters. So I, 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 you know, I really love the music that they make. So I'm always bouncing ideas and, and sending notes and demos and, 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 you know, just trying to improve the song any way I can. So you do that with your, your bandmates in Altamita. Do you look at other artists and kind of try to parse what they're doing in terms of, you know, like how they structure a song or, or what they're, what goes into their writing as well? All the time, all the time. It's one of those things and you play music um, for as long as I have. And it literally is, I've been able, been fortunate enough to make a life of music, you know, um, as a musician and, it's one of those things that has a double-edged sword. You love music so much that you begin to like pick it apart every time, you know, when you understand the process, whether it's sonics, composition, stuff like that. But so I'm, it's a little harder to find things that I really love, but when I really find something that I love, I get obsessive and I almost listen to it till I hate it. <laughs> you just like exhaust yourself on it. Yeah. There's yeah. lots of music. It's lots of music, you know, 
and it it everything that you listen to informs the quality of your own music so i'm constantly looking for new artists and new sounds and you know on this next record that i'm writing now like it might be a return to something a bit more raucous and experimental um just because i've been doing the singer songwriter for the last uh few years you know some of the things that we leaned into on the album oblivion uh even the song oblivion uh, we're playing with lots of sound and we're and we're going places sonically that I would like to maybe go a little bit deeper on the next one. So that's kind of like a suggestion of where you go, but you just want to pursue it more. Absolutely. And it's fun. And maybe this time around, I'll have just a slightly bit more money to be able to do that. Right. Because we recorded that album in like four days and like two years ago, live off the floor mostly. So, you know, it was done relatively quickly and it would be nice to just be in there a little longer and have a little bit more fun. So that's obviously done out of financial necessity that, you know, getting it done in four days. But in terms of that live off the floor thing, is that, I know some artists are very partial to that, that it just because it's it captures kind of what it would be like if you saw them on stage so that if, if an audience comes, they're not like completely like aghast at the like differences between a, a studio record and a, and a live performance. But like, do you like doing stuff on a record that you couldn't replicate out live? Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it all. And I think at that time, you know, when I started releasing my solo music, you know, I was very much into artists like uh, like uh, all the, I mean, all the artists that uh, the producer Dave Cobb has worked with, um, you know, including William Prince, who I know is from uh, Manitoba, but artists like Jason Isbell. And, you know, I'd read these interviews and listen to these um, these studio documentaries about how, you know, the performance of a live band is sort of at that time was kind of slipping away, right? Everything was sort of chopped up and on the grid, even Americana music, uh, singer songwriter music. And I and I was right there with them and I felt the same way. And having played punk music for the last 10 years before that, I was very much on board with that sort of raw nerve uh, energy of a recording. And yeah, but at the same time, like there are studio albums that I absolutely dig. Uh, with the war on drugs, you know, who's mm-hmm. playing the folk festival. Like there's a lot to be said for things that are on the grid and things that, you know, just drive, you know, um, it's all awesome to me. And so, yeah, we, we go back and forth. <laughs> for sure. Speaking of going back and forth, is, some of your songs are very personal and some of them are kind of like much more like topical and, and, you know, exploratory in terms of like indigenous history or, or like activism and things like that. Are either of those harder for you to write or perform? Like, like, do you find revealing yourself a more difficult thing or talking about, you know, societal things and, and systemic problems? I think the societal songs are a little harder, right? Because for me specifically, when I talk about my community, I have to be sensitive to everyone's perspective. I have to be cognizant of the fact that I shouldn't uh, pan-indigenize our whole community. Mm. And, and to maybe even remind folks in my lyrics that like I, I come from a very specific community in a very specific area. So I'm not trying to speak for everyone. Um, but when I do have a topical song, like, you know, the songs that were on the Danny Wolf EP and stuff like that, like I try to make it universal and I try to make it inviting, but it's hard. It's much easier said than done. I can talk about myself all day and my feelings, but there's only so many of those songs, you know, maybe some people I know from me personally, I'd want to listen to on an album, you know? Right. At a certain point, you kind of exhaust yourself as a, as a source reference for material. Exactly. Right. And yeah, it's, and, and again, it's about having balance and, and being able to have a, a, a bit of everything for people to listen to, enjoy or relate to. 
You mentioned that you're, you know, working on a new record and that, you know, sonically you're exploring some of more of like the Oblivion style thing. As far as the the record as a whole, like, is, do you have a concept for it or like kind of an overarching framework for this next record? Well, I was taking a bunch of the B-sides from Oblivion and trying to rework them and maybe get a little bit happier with them. And a lot of the subject matter of those songs were really dark. Um, some of the stuff that I thought maybe was a bit too dark for this album, because I really wanted Oblivion to be the 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 breath of fresh air after Oblivion, after you've hit rock bottom. Mm. And I wanted the entire record to feel like that, right? That darkness to light. And a lot of the B-sides lyrically uh, that I'm working on now are really dark. Um, and they were maybe a little bit too sad for the for the first record. But I think what I'm just experimenting with now, and this is very early days, early stages, is 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 trying to make those dark songs sound light. And I'm doing that through production. I'm doing that through how they're they're structured sonically, and um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, I'm over the last year or so, I've I've been fortunate enough to really uh, invest in myself by uh, means of my home studio. And I'm really happy with the setup that I have now. And I've just been absolutely throwing everything at the canvas and um, playing with drum machines, um, you know, uh, modulation effects, and uh, really just trying to just have a lot more fun and maybe go in the box a little bit more in that regard, you know, where maybe the record is um, self-contained to uh, being entirely done on the grid and a little more experimental. Um, one of my first singles, uh, Dog Days, um, it's a single that's up on my uh, YouTube channel. It sounds entirely different than the music I've been making for the last couple of years. But that song that I did with uh, Ian Romano from uh, Daniel Romano's band, um, that took a year and a half. And I remember at the time it was very frustrating to um, to have back and forth sending files and figuring that all out. But that song sonically is so fascinating to me and i don't even remember how we got all those tones i remember at one point we had ebos in a room full of acoustics and we were just doing a ton of really fun experimental stuff and i think i want to kind of maybe channel some of that energy on this next one so maybe that slow process allowed you the space to do that kind of experimentation whereas you wouldn't have had that in a in a four-day session in the studio absolutely absolutely yeah uh, as far as that like you know bringing light to the darkness notion like is that so that you can kind of almost disguise the heaviness of the lyrics with like bright, bright, sunshiny type songs. Like, is that the idea? Like, like almost like a delivery system, like, you know, uh, that's, sugar on the coating on a, on a codeine pill or something. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. Yeah. I would absolutely agree with that statement. <laughs> so that's the next record. Uh, before we go, I want to get you to pick a track from the last record that we can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that or an anecdote about it, we'd love to hear that. Yeah, I think um, I think we're going to pick go with uh, Floribel. We just released it uh, last Friday with its um, uh, video supplement. Um, I was in uh, England last year on tour with Altamita. And one of my old friends who's a uh, director and fashion photographer in, in London, England, uh, hit me up and said, if I, you know, if I have a few hours to come and do a video, because he knew I was working on this record and I had these songs rolling out. And I was like, absolutely. But this song is actually one of the live off the floor um tracks on the album where there wasn't like any overdubbing of any parts of the record or anything it was me troy and eric sitting in a room three acoustic guitars i believe one of them was a high strung nashville acoustic guitar and their voices and my voice all at once so i was pretty proud of it i think we did like three takes and this was the first one we did 
Um, so I would go with Florabelle. And um, for those of you who want the, to check out the video, it's pretty cool. It's uh, really moody and black and white, but we just released it on uh, last Friday. So, yeah. All right. Well, we'll link to that one in the show notes for the the episode, but uh, for folks, they can listen to it now, Florabelle. Uh, Evan, thanks for taking some time and safe travels. Looking forward to seeing you at FolkFest. I can't wait to get out there. I'm so honored to be out there and uh, to be able to be a part of such an amazing festival. And uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Bum up, Desert rose with rouge on her cheek and the sun upon her nose. Florabelle, never one to fuss. She leaned to her will, scattered into dust. Florabelle, stories that you tell. single mother can in vow to herself she would never fear that hand again or ever even in that small town where the leaves change their color even six years on down for bell stories that you tell Oh
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, right before the break, Florabelle, Evan Redsky's pick from his album Oblivion. He is playing Spruce Hollow on Sunday afternoon at Winnipeg Folk Festival. Uh, I'm out there right now, as I mentioned, but if you're tuning into this, I am going to leave you with uh, some great new tunes I heard this week. Finnick, playing the Young Performers stage as uh, part of the Winnipeg Folk Festival, up, making the trip up to Winnipeg from Minnesota. They sent me the single St. Bernard. We're going to play that. We've got some new Becca Mankari. Munia, back with uh, a couple tracks off of a uh, forthcoming album. Some Swedish funk, some uh, more cumbia from the likes of Quantic, and uh, a new pop track from Quebec from artist Ormiston. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. Yeah. 